Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Executive Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, some sad news in Soapland. Another World alum, Nancy Frangione, has passed away at the age of 70. Now, while I often talk about how Luke and Laura are what sucked me into soaps in the first place, the first show I actually watched was Another World because my mother watched it for a brief time before she went back to work, and I stayed the course after she did. Uh, now, Nancy's character, Cecile de Poulenac, was one of my absolute favorites. I loved her scenes with Steven Schnetzer's cast. I loved that she and Christopher Rich, who played Sandy, were married. I mean, there is just something about her character that really appealed to me, and... Um, she just was always someone that I looked at with such fond memories of that soap. Um, on X, formerly Twitter, Mary Page Keller, who played Sally, called it a gut punch, adding that Nancy was one of a kind, intrepid, funny, and so very talented. And she will indeed be missed. Oh my gosh, a gut punch is definitely the way I would describe how I felt when I heard the news as well. And that's like without knowing her personally as Mary Page did. Uh, I think Cecile was one of the most colorful and delicious bad girls ever to grace Bay City or Tankier for that matter. Mm -hmm. uh, I only got like a little taste of Cecile uh, when I began watching Another World, which was in 1989, a year she returned for a visit. But I definitely fell in love with her right away. You know, it was another bad girl, Vicki Hudson, who sucked me into Another World. And I'm just so saddened that we've now lost both Nancy and M.H., who played Vicky. They were both really synonymous to me of what got me hooked on Another World, which was a show that I just loved so dearly and really kicked my own soap fanship up to the next level. So daytime fans uh, may also remember Nancy from a role she played before coming to Bay City, the heroine Tara on All My Children, and the fact that she was so persuasive in these polar opposite roles is a testament to her great talent as well. Oh, agreed, and may she rest in peace. Uh, now we have some casting news to share. Jen Lilly is reprising the role of Daisy's Teresa, who will return to Salem for Victor's memorial. Uh, Jen was last seen in 2018, and Eric Martsoff, who plays Brady, her longtime co-star, says they picked right back up where they left off, like no time had passed. That is no surprise to me. Jen is such a pro and went on to have a very successful career on both Hallmark and Great American Family, um, but I'm excited to see her uh, as Teresa again, see what she does with the role. Now, also coming back for the funeral is Zach Tinker, who will play Sonny again. And we're also going to see on September 1st, the daytime debut of Mr. Dick Van Dyke, who at 97 is doing his first soap role. Now, I spoke to the legendary actor for an upcoming story, and he could not have been more delightful. Um, and finally, I also want to send our best wishes to Eric Braden, Young and Restless's Victor, who revealed on social media that he is cancer-free, which is incredible news, and I'm so happy for him. Yes, that is the very best news. Uh, now, another uh, return that we have to look forward to is that Walt Willie is going to be back on the GHC next week as his All My Children alter ego, Jackson Montgomery. So this time he is in Port Charles proper, not Pine Valley. And we will see him in his old stomping grounds of the courtroom. This is because Deception is being sued for intellectual property theft. And Lynn Herring, who plays Lucy, gave us a preview of the shenanigans that will ensue when Lucy finds out who is suing her. I am actually so excited about this story. I love watching it play out. Besides the fact that we already talked how great it is to have Walt there. I just love anything with Lucy. I mean, Lynn 
just is embodies that character in such a way that every time she is on the screen, I cannot help but watch. And just having her working with Kirsten Storms as Maxie, Amanda Seton as Brooklyn, like I am so in for it. I'm very excited for this uh, storyline to have another chapter to it. Absolutely. Um, now, someone else who has had some incredible chapters in Port Charles since her 2019 debut is Bonnie Burroughs, who plays Gladys Corbin. So let's get her on the line and see how it's been going for her. Hi, Bonnie. Hey, good morning. Good morning for me. How are you? I'm very well. How about y'all? We're doing well. Thanks so much for being here today. Oh, I'm so tickled and excited. Thank you for inviting me. Now, we have never met, but I am a fan, so I'm also excited to learn about you and, um, you know, how you came to Port Charles. So we will start. You're a native of the Atlanta area, and tell us a little bit about your childhood and your family of origin. Yes, yes. Um, Yes, I was born in Atlanta. Uh, My father was an amateur race car driver when um, he actually picked my mother up to go to a party where she'd been fixed up with someone else for a date, but she fell for my my hot dad, you know, race car driving sweet self. And um, she was 19 at the time. Uh, and then, you know, cut to a couple years later when she got knocked up and uh, they got married six months before I was born. <laughs> and it worked out. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then at some point during all of that, I guess after the baby came along, uh, his mom and probably my mom were like, you can't, keep racing cars because that can get you killed and now you have a family so uh he started working for the phone company and uh you know it was just a a sweet good guy I, I keep saying was because I lost him 25 years ago three months after my my oldest child was born but I'm um, sorry just a kind of true blue lovely person that went to work and took care of the family and never complained about having a job that I'm sure he did not love yeah and yeah, and uh, am I remembering yeah. correctly that your mom lives with you or very, very near you? She, you're sharp. She lives a block away. Yeah, she I'm lives not. a block away. In fact, I just took her to Kaiser. I, I'm wearing. I slept in this T-shirt. Um, no judgment. Okay. No judgment. Thank you. And I took my mother to Kaiser this morning for a blood test wearing this T-shirt that I slept in. <laughs> just that tells you a lot about me. The glamorous life of a soap star. Exactly. And a lady in line to get her blood test at the lab at um, uh, at Kaiser. She points at us and says, you look so cute today. And my mom said, thank you, because she always does look cute. And she said, but she was talking to me. I'm like, she she did not know me, but she's a fan of the show. And I'm sitting there in running shorts and no bra and the shirt that I slept in. But I do have my eyelashes on from working yesterday. <laughs> I left my eyelashes on and my hair is blown out from working yesterday. So the lashes and the hair look good. Everything else looks like I rolled out from under a car. Keep, keep it real. <laughs> exactly. All right. So you were... Uh, I know interested in the arts growing up, but more in terms of like fine arts, not necessarily the performing arts. Um, and I just recently learned about your somewhat unorthodox entree into an acting career. Uh, so please share with Steph and our listeners the story of how you wind up going to drama school, which was not because you had your heart set on becoming an actor. Thank you, Mara. Exactly. Exactly the case. I was an introvert in high school. I did not date. I, you know, my friends were the hyper strange folks. I mean, the good, good people. Those are my people. Um, Just, but not popular, not no social, you know, just like a social loser in high school, but I did do drama. And that was like for a lot of actors, I think that was, you know, where you kind of break out of your shell. Um, I applied to go to the University of Georgia, which was really typical, you know, where I lived and got in and went to orientation, orientation weekend. And I came home and I had complete cold feet about starting college because it felt like it was going to be a social nightmare, like high school part two. And I said to my mom, I don't, I don't know if I can do it. And my mom said, well, you don't have to. Um, and I said to Mara too, uh, when we talked about this originally, I think if I was a mom, I would have said, honey, why don't you try it for a quarter? And then see, <laughs> my mom's like, yeah, you don't have to. And, um, I was working at TGI Fridays or something. And she said, oh, there's an ad in the paper. That's when people used to like read a physical paper. 
and mm-hmm. read ads in the back for a regional audition for a drama school in New York. And because she's my mom, she thought I was a really good actress. And I auditioned for the drama school. And I just like ended up going to drama school again, as you say, not because I had a burning desire, but just like, well, I can't just be a hostess at TGI Fridays, I guess. <laughs> well, when yeah. you're going through the training of drama school, you know, did you make a firm decision like, okay, this is going to be my career? Or was it just sort of the path you were on and you went with it? I, I think, well, I got a lot of encouragement in drama school. I did pretty well, I dare say. Um, you know, the, the uh, director of the school, there were like three of them, but um, I, I did get, you know, I certainly got lots of notes and lots of criticism and direction and guidance and and uh so on and so forth but but generally i got i think i was surprised um to be encouraged to kind of well this is what you should do now you know every person that goes to the studies acting i think would tell you that you know at some point you're going to be told if there's anything else you can think of to do you should go and do that because you know it's a really hard way to make a living <laughs> um but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of was lucky enough, often enough to kind of have a career. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, okay. So I'm assuming uh, socially it was not really high school part two, but what was living in New York like for you uh, at that at that time? It was both. Well, I moved there in 1980. Um which was after the 70s decade where New York almost went bankrupt. But but when you tell people that you lived in New York in the 80s, they're like, ooh, you know. Uh, and I mean, I didn't I didn't know. I, it certainly was not like the suburbs that I grew up in. Um, I loved it. I, again, I kind of fumbled and foundered socially for a couple of years until I figured out how to make friends and connections. I was, I did well in school. I loved being at school. I was a little, a little, um, I not taking such good care of myself when I wasn't in school. Let's just leave it at that. Um, but, uh, but I made some lifelong friends. I think like people do in college, I made, I made lifelong friends in school and, uh, I still cherish those people. And, you know, they're the kind of friends that if you don't talk to them for a year and you get on the phone, it's, you pick up exactly where you left off. Yeah. Now, did any of your classmates go on to successful acting careers? Um, yeah, yes. Now I'm, this is, this is where you're going to, um, strain my memory. I mean, one of my dear friends, I think it's okay to say is, um, one of my dear friends is Deborah Lee Furness, who is a, um, Australian actress and she went to school with me and we were roomed together and then she moved back to Australia and she got a, she did a movie that was successful and she did a TV series. And on the TV series, she met a very cute, hunky dude named Hugh Jackman and she married him. <laughs> so that. she's my most famous uh, um, friend from acting school, not college, more of a trade school. Um, who else from my class? I mean, other people that were not in my class did very well. Isai Morales is a, um, I think he was a year or two after me. Um, and I think there are a few others. Most most people that I was went through the whole three years with um, did not end up making a career of it. And if they're listening, you know, they might be mad to hear me say that. But I think it's just a factual statement. And I think it's just statistically the way it turns out. And it doesn't mean I was the most talented person in the class. I can name, you know, I could name five other people that I thought were just absolutely gifted. And uh, it's just it's not fair. That's the thing we know about it. (laughs) I've heard acting careers are not a meritocracy all the time. Um, So, okay. When you graduated, what did you do? Like, what did it look like for you as you made the transition from pupil to someone trying to launch an acting career? Oh yeah. Well, it, it looked like going to a ton of commercial auditions in New York at the time. Um, and at that time, often you would go to the agency, the ad agency, you'd go to Ogilvy and Mather, or you'd go to uh, DB, I don't know, this, this is boring details for the listeners. But, um, and, you know, I always had at least two or three jobs that, and while I was auditioning, um, I wound up being a bartender. Um, I mean, I did a whole bunch of that before I ever started working semi-regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I booked. Yeah, go ahead. Go, go. I think I booked One Life to Live in 1986. I uh, got a three month contract playing Stacey Giordano, and my contract was not renewed, and it absolutely broke my heart. Did I tell you this story, Maura? 
The no. um, I think the guys, I think the executive producer's name at the time was Paul Roush. Roush. Thank you. And I think Frank was his assistant, but maybe not quite yet. Maybe not quite at that time. But Paul called me into his office, I don't know, maybe a month into my three-month contract and said, you need to take stage. And now I know what he meant by that. But clearly back at the time, if I didn't, if I thought I knew what it meant, I didn't know what it meant because I didn't do it enough to get my contract renewed. <laughs> what did he mean? Um, so I think he meant I was being too tentative. I think he... I think I wasn't making strong enough choices. I think my work is, well, <laughs> if you want to talk about Gladys later, we can talk about Gladys <laughs> later, but um, leaving her aside, I think that a strength of mine as an actor has generally been that it's believable and real. Um, so I think I was doing that, but also like maybe to the point of being boring, like I needed to, to juice her up a little bit. And I, I was just, I, you know, I was too shy to, I was too tentative. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and that was, uh, you know, what, what did you, kill you, what did you work with? Who, who was Stacy and who did you work with? Uh, okay, there's a character, there was a character named Rafe. Mm -hmm. Does that ring a bell? Absolutely, Rafe Garrison, yeah. I believe. Yeah, I think. And I think I, they had, we had a little stunt thing where I had to like do a Flip, do a karate flip of him. I should try to find that on YouTube sometime. Yeah, that sounds like a That's good one. That's what I really remember. Yeah. <gasps> and I think, I think I remember, I feel like in the green room, we were watching um, Clarence Thomas hearings. Anyway, oh, wow. you, I, I, that's, I think that's right. I think that's right. That's, that's how long ago that was. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Now, was that your first daytime audition? Had you been uh, been at other shows for uh, daytime roles before that? Um, I do not recall, Stephanie. It's so long ago. I, I'm sure it was. I'm sure I did not book the first soap that I auditioned for. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure about that. Um, but that was my first big job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I, was your first like? Yeah credit like your first tv job was it one life or had you done something prior i don't i think it was one life to live yeah and then i and then after that i a friend of mine who was married to a, a, a director in los angeles said come on out and audition for an episode of this show and um and then i think and i flew out at my own expense and auditioned and got that part and stayed with my friend and, and her husband and I think that was my, that's what kind of got me going in LA, but yeah, I don't think, I mean, in New York, I don't know how much TV was actually shooting in New York besides soaps in the eighties. Is that right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think, no, I did a couple commercials. Um, I did some obscure theater, uh, but you know, the most successful I was in my eight and a half years in New York was as a bartender at a nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, was that Los Angeles show Houston Nights? Because it in, in 1987, you got your first primetime credit there playing Holly Devane, which sounds like she was named by a GH fan. But what stands <laughs> out to you about that experience? Um, oh, wow. Uh, the hair and makeup. And also, I mean, I just, the pictures of that. I mean, she's such, she, I think that's all a different person. In 1987, I was 26 years old. So a baby in my book. Um, with this big hair and pretty makeup. And I, I remember thinking, I wished I could have a, a piece of wardrobe, which looking back, it's frightening that I ever thought it was something that anyone would want to have. It was like an acid washed, tight fitted denim dress with buttons all down the front. I mean, it was super 1987. So, so, um, so chic at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't even born yet, Stephanie. I uh, yes, I was. I was in college then. So okay. Okay. thank you very much. <laughs> Wearing a lot of acid wash. Trust me. And I remember too being um, like I would, you know, I had, I was a guest star. And so I had a, I had my own dressing room and the AD would come and say, you know, they'd come and get you from your dressing room. And, and I would run to the set and they would say, you don't have to run. You know, <laughs> I it was, I was just a baby. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing on that. I mean, it was very different format on a single camera, um, you know, like a primetime filmed thing and it, on film um, taking seven days to shoot, you know, an hour of TV and right. we take, you know, we shoot, I don't know. I don't know what the math is, but it's crazy. So tell us about, you know, making your way to Los Angeles on a more permanent basis. Mm -hmm. Well, I did, I did Houston night. I did Houston nights, but I was still living in New York. And um, I, 
maybe that got me. I, I probably already had an agent from uh, One Life to Live. Um, I think after, you know, that taste of of being pretty well paid to to do a job in LA, I thought I just got to be in LA. That's where the work, that's where the work is. Um, so took me a bit longer. Um, it was halfway through 1988 when I, when I made the leap, actually, I, I tried once to move to LA and, the, and it was a miserable, lonely failure. It might've been right after that. Um, and I lasted for three months and, and then I just came running back to New York and back to the bar where I did so well. And then, I don't know, I, I just, I eventually said, I, I gotta do, I gotta do this in LA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. it looks like it was a good move. You landed episodic roles on very recognizable series like Newhart and My Two Dads and Hunter. So first of all, do you have a Bob Newhart story? Mm, I am so sorry that I don't. That's okay. Do you, do you have a Larry and Daryl and the other Daryl story? <laughs> I, just, I, just, I loved Newhart back in the day. I'm just, I'm just I did too. <laughs> I did too. And I know that I did the show, but I don't even remember what part I did on the show. Well, then it's, we should move on to something back. that you do remember, Bonnie. Um, <laughs> okay, instance, good luck with this. <laughs> well, I'm hopeful that you remember yeah. that you did an episode of Dallas in 1989. I think I did three episodes. Three episodes. All right. Mm-hmm. So hit us, hit us with your Dallas memories. Yeah. Um, again, I... I, I the first things that come to me are fashion memories of like gigantic shoulder pads and silk blouses and, and hair. Um, and I, I, I don't remember if I was a bad guy or a good guy. <laughs> Isn't this great? But, this but, the hair, so well. but the hair was, was, was serving. That's what, <laughs> yes, that, that's, 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 what that, that's um, what matters. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Uh, and I, you know, I, it felt fun to be on a show that was a big giant hit. Yeah. Sure, you know, yeah. Did you uh, have day jobs in LA out of curiosity? No, I did not. I did not have day jobs in LA. Great. I mean, I mostly got away with that. I mean, I kind of have a day job now. I mean, I, I, I teach yoga aside from yeah. being on GH, but we can talk about that later or not too. But no, short answer. No, I didn't have day jobs in LA. So from 1990 to 1991, you appeared on Santa Barbara as police psychologist, Jamie Lawrence, who worked with A. Martinez's Cruz, a favorite of Mara's and mine. Um, so what do you recall about Santa Barbara? Well, A. Martinez, I, I mean, I was already a fan. I think I've told you before, Mara, uh, Santa Barbara was, I wouldn't say my favorite soap of all time, but I did love it for a while. I just thought it was super smart and cool. And then, and he is, I mean, what, what is he doing? He's, he's brilliant. He's one of these people who has just got it. Um, he was lovely. I I'm sure I was a little nervous because I was such a fan. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to work with somebody that you're such a fan of. I I mean, you know, you get over it quickly, but, um, yeah, I was a little, a little smitten and a little starstruck. Yeah. That's a good, yeah. Were you a Cruise and Eden fan? Yes, definitely. And were you, a, were you a Mason and Julia fan? And did you freak at all when you met Nancy Lee Braun at General Hospital? Um, well, I freaked about Nancy because, and this, this might get me in trouble too, but you don't have to, you know, you probably can leave it in. Um, I kind of followed her on what used to be called Twitter and, <laughs> um, I appreciate her. I know that not all the fans appreciate her her views, but I I uh, I do, and I and I think she's uh, smart and sassy and still beautiful and so talented, and she's very kind to me at work, and you know that just I like people who are kind, and that's pretty much everybody there. So that's a short, boring story too. No, not at all. <laughs> not at yeah. all. We want to hear yeah. good uh, Nancy stories. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all right. So 1990, you have a little bit part on Days of Our Lives. You have a little bit part on uh, on Santa Barbara. And we also see the release of Hard to Kill, the Steven Seagal yep. action thriller, which I believe marked uh, your film debut and in which you played the very soberly named Felicia Storm. <laughs> so please tell us about your experience on that movie set. <laughs> well, when I got that part, I called my mom and said, I'm going to be in the movies, you know, kind of, it's kind of like when I got one life to live for three months in New York and thought I've arrived. Um, and as it turned out, I had not. Um, and I would say the same thing about ar- arriving um, <laughs> in the world of feature films. I was so excited. 
and it was it was a it was a good job and a nice break and you know you could probably tell by looking at my resume how how much longer I mean I don't, never did another huge studio film I guess until EZA so that has not been my forte apparently um, and that was uh, that was a challenging job in in many ways uh, I get killed very graphically early in the film. Um, there's a thing that they do when you're being shot. At least this was the technology at the time, something called squibs, which are effectively like little M80, like cherry bomb fireworks. You know, in this case, they were, I can't lean back too far because of the way I'm dressed. Um, uh, in this case, the, the the squibs were in the comforter or the blanket because this was, we were doing a love scene when I got shot. So, you know, um, and then my or my hand got in the way of one of them when it, when it was exploding and it, it was excruciating and it turned out to be not, not, not a bad injury at all. Of course, they panic on a film set if you hurt yourself because, you know, they don't want you to get hurt and they don't want themselves to get sued. But it, it, it was just scary. Um, and there was blood, which is basically just like red syrup and feathers. And, you know, it was just a mess. And Steven Seagal is, is a little bit of a sleaze, which is, you know, don't cut that out because everybody knows it. Well, the 90s seem to have been a very significant decade for you on the personal front, because that's when you started your family. So tell us the yes. story of how you met your husband. Yes, I thank you. Um, I uh, was six weeks out of a relationship. How about I'll I'll drop another name for you? Is that obnoxious? No, that we're, You'll we're appreciate here for. This. I don't I don't think Mara even knows this. Um, so through my friend Deborah, who I met at school. Okay, so this this precedes my husband. Um, but Deborah introduced me to a dude named Colin Hay, who was the uh, lead singer of Men at Work. Alrighty, not, which was not, an not 80s too band. So that was my boyfriend for three years. Wow. And uh, I, you know, we're friends. Love him. Didn't work out. Six weeks after we finally broke up for the final last time, I was in no mood to meet or date anybody or do anything with anybody. <laughs> and my sister dragged me to a party and that's where I met my husband. And um, yeah, he, he uh, was, we were in a backyard in Venice, California, and there was a bonfire and people were sitting around. It was one o'clock in the morning and he came to sit and I'm like, oh, I'm leaving. You can sit here. And he said, if you leave, there'll be no reason for me to sit here. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's sweet. yeah. Yeah. And he said, do you want to go see Enchanted April? And I said, sure. And and then the weird, the creepy part is, so I got home at like 2.30 in the morning, my phone rang and I picked it up because I had given him my phone number, which is what you used to do back in the day. Back in the day. <laughs> you give somebody your phone number. <clears throat> so he calls at 2.30 in the morning and I'm like, are you just trying to see if I gave you the right number? And he's like, ah, I thought I'd be leaving a message on your answering machine, which is another quaint relic from the 90s <laughs> <laughs> anyway you know we started dating and it's been almost well our 30th and wedding anniversary is coming up uh in october mazel tov yeah Amazing. yeah and he's a musician so i guess i have a weakness for musicians and i don't know how to plan my life financially because that's not what an actress would do if she had any <laughs> good sense <laughs> well uh you told me that you got married in your living room and yeah. right in the backyard and that you yeah. weren't the wreck Betsy Johnson dress with high top platform shoes. So first of all, what I wouldn't give for a time machine so I could attend this wedding. Uh, but secondly, what is your most favorite memory of your wedding day? Oh, that's so that's I love that. Um, <sighs> there are a lot of good ones. Um, a funny one that I love and that maybe, I don't know, kind of exemplifies our, how our marriage works. <clears throat> is I, it was a townhouse that we lived in at the time. So I was making a kind of a dramatic entrance. All the guests were just standing in the living room and there was the stairs from the two bedrooms came down into the living room. And our officiant, which was my husband's bass player, which <clears throat> was standing in this bay window. And uh, I come down the stairs and there was music and we start this, you know, hippie ceremony that we designed. And the officiant was supposed to have the wedding rings and he didn't um, because my husband had not given them to him. My husband had like one job, you know, give Tad the rings and he didn't do it. And I'm like, okay, well, they're in my desk. So I had to like leave every, you know, people were already crying. The guests were already in oh. tears because everything was beautiful and sweet and all this stuff. And so I had to go over to my desk and get the rings out. And my husband said, okay, you need to go back upstairs and let's start this over. I'm like, no, 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 we're not. I'm not starting over. It's not take two 
let's just go let's go um so that doesn't sound like a romantic memory but it's it's I don't know I guess I love it because he makes me laugh and and it's it's a it's a quirky memory of a quirky a quirky wedding I love yeah. that me yeah, too thank you thank you um now you and your husband have two daughters Polly and Clara so would you yeah. say that your relationship to like sort of the inherent hustle of professional acting shifted when you had kids a hundred percent I bet you've heard this I bet y'all have heard this a lot. You've talked to, you know, a million actors. It, for me, and I bet they would all, so many people would say this, it shifted it from this kind of nail-biting obsession with getting hired. Because I used to joke that my my real job was looking for work. You know, (laughs) it's a gig job, just always looking for the next gig. Um, A lot of pressure on that. I, you know, I think I was not all that fun to be around when I was waiting to hear if I got a job. And, you know, you don't, you rarely hear, you don't hear that you did not get the job. You only hear if you got it. And it's so, you know, most of the things I would audition for, I didn't get it. So having uh, kids, having that first kid kind of magically took that away forever. I mean, it probably also had to do with being more mature um, and developing a thicker skin, but then, you know, now I had a super clear assignment, which was to keep this person alive and let her know she was loved. And and that, um, that suited me. It, it's, uh, it's not for everybody, but I, I did love that. And, uh, it made, it made looking for work and, and doing work when I got work, just much less important. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was always important for the money and the insurance, but it made it, I guess it made it less about my identity and, you know, whether I was worth what I was worth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. you certainly did continue to work and your resume well into the aughts, aughts is a, you know, very impressive run of like, you know, primetime gig after gig after gig. Um, but just to cherry pick one that might be of interest to soap fans, tell us about playing the lawyer of Marsha Cross's Brie on Desperate Housewives. Oh, yeah. Well, that that was a very cool gig because um, that show was huge. So again, it's always fun to be part of a cool project. I mean, maybe that makes me kind of superficial, but uh, it just felt like I got to be on a hip and cool show. Um, and she was lovely. And yeah, they, that was just a super pleasant, groovy experience with expensive, pretty clothes. <laughs> <laughs> now she's a fellow One Life alum. That's right. She and is. I maybe, and you know, I'm trying to think we did establish that. And of course, I don't remember if it's because we were on at the same time or because we just happened to discuss that but maybe we were on the same time I think she was you were she was a big old star on that show yeah she really yeah. took the stage she took the stage <laughs> she figured it out nice one yeah um yeah. good callback Mara that's right um, uh and she took the stage on that show too yeah mm-hmm. she was oh, great. sure yeah, she yeah. was. So another job that uh, jumped out to me and that you referenced earlier was that you played uh, Micah's mom in the Emma Stone starring Easy A. Michael was played by uh, Cam Gigande. So mm-hmm. like, what was like the audition process like for a film that big? Okay, I uh, I auditioned for a different part. Do you know the movie? There's a, there's a scene in the movie, there's a little scene in the movie of um like hippies sitting around like naked like somebody's mom is like a super hippie mom that's naked but you know she's got long hair that's covering everything it's I mean it's really funny successful movie that movie works so well I think um so that's the part I auditioned for um and just got this other part I don't know why but I was given this other part uh and it was so much fun you know, there's a whole art form to, because I, if, if you haven't seen it, those of you listening to the podcast, if you haven't seen it, I, I kind of really wail on the actor's head, like slapping him and I'm his mother and I slap him in the head repeatedly and, you know, doing take after take after take and from different angles many, many times to, to, to get that tiny, but really precious little scene, um, really hilarious scene. But yeah, you, you're taught to, you know, kind of I'm, I'm demonstrating on the Zoom like people can see, but you're supposed to keep your fingers really loose so you don't hurt the actor or hurt yourself, you know, and just kind of brush it across the head or the face or whatever you're striking so that it looks convincing, but nobody gets hurt. But you know what? You do get hurt. I feel like my fingers were bruised at the end of that day. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he took it. He took it. You know, he he was he was a, he was game and it turned out really well. And I and the doc, the guy who was playing the act the doctor in that scene. I can't remember his name, but he's 
uh, a very successful, very hilarious actor. Yeah, I was proud to be part of that project. It turned out great. And a really good launching point for Emma Stone as well. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, she was, she got the goods. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's for doing sure. okay. Yeah, she's yeah. doing okay for herself. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to jump ahead quite a bit to 2019 when Gladys Corbin first made her way to Port Charles. So tell us about landing the job. And had you known Mark Teschner previously? I had met Mark Teschner years before. I don't know how many years. It had been a very long time. Um, and I kind of had a new agent around this time. And I, my husband and I were in New York. I, I think it was for his birthday or something. And, you know, I don't know if you don't always check the voicemails on your phone, but I don't always check the voicemails on my phone. Um, I guess I'd gotten a voicemail on Friday. My agent calls me on Monday and he's like, do you not want a job? <laughs> I'm like, oh, what? And um, I'd, so I'd been offered a part for like a day or two and I was thrilled. And I'm like, yes, of course I want the job. So I did not audition for the part, um, which is dreamy because auditions are stressful and painful. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I was just offered the part and uh, um, I went in to do the part. And when I was in the hair, I was in hair before I was in makeup. And Mark came to see me to, to greet me because I had not auditioned for him and was gracious and wonderful. And then Frank came in and was talking to me and said, can you darken her hair? So they dumped two cans of temporary brown mousse hair color in my hair that day. And then for like the next, I don't know, year and a half, that's this would be this long ritual, which took like 45 minutes to, to mush the mousse into the hair. And then they had to dry it and it was like hyper wet and sticky. And so it was a whole thing, but um, yeah, yeah. So a, a job that I think was meant for, you know, pretty short term, just kind of kept going, which I guess is an endorsement. Uh, uh, yeah. And I worked and I was so I was so determined to do well that I hired a coach to help me before my first, before that first day of shooting. I just wanted to be super confident and super ready. And, and I was working with Maurice and uh, we hit it off. Um, so yeah, the rest is history. It's my favorite job that I have ever had full stop. Well, certainly a, 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 you know, a compelling way to parlay a one or two day gig into a much longer run is to be related to Sunny Corinthos, which of course Gladys is. I know. So, I know. You know tell us about uh, working with Maurice and the relationship that you have with him <laughs> off camera. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, he's wonderful to work with because he's so, uh, you know, he's got that energy that's like kind of animal energy. Is that okay to say? I mean, it's just, it's exciting. You're just like, you know, you kind of don't know what he's going to do and it's, it's very real and it's very authentic and he, it can be, he can, you know, his character obviously can be scary and funny and tender and he's just got the whole spectrum going on. Um, so as an actor, it's really fun to play with somebody who's, you know, super present and not at all, you know, not ever phoning it in and, um, you know, then anything could happen. You know, he might burst out laughing. He might growl. I mean, you know, so we've, uh, I was definitely nervous and, um, but I, you know, as I said, I knew I, the need to, to be hyper prepared was to get me through that so that I, you know, that I wouldn't fall, that I wouldn't screw it up on the day. So I did accomplish that. And every subsequent time working with him felt a little bit more comfortable. And now I just feel like I'm working with my brother, you know, that. Yeah, he's uh, we have a we have a very fun rapport. Mm -hmm. um, he's the well, king. Sir. He's the king he of the show. The king. You know. Oh yeah. sure. Oh yeah. Um, now, a few months after your first appearance, Gladys returned, spent time with Max Gale's Mike and Sonny's then wife Carly, played by Laura Wright. So, had mm -hmm. you known from the start that Gladys wasn't going to be a one-off, or did it come as a surprise to you when they brought her back? I. It was a pleasant surprise. It was a very pleasant surprise. I. Yeah. I mean, my agent had said it could be, I feel like what they said at the time was could be, you know, could be a couple of days, could be a couple few days. So yes, pleasant surprise uh, when I came back. Um, and almost, I mean, it's a little dramatic to say that that's still true, but it kind of is still true. You know, that I keep, it keeps going and I've had a, I've had a really good story uh, for a while now, that's going to continue on the air for a little while now. I mean, I figure it's my turn to be stuck in the refrigerator for a while. I mean, both <laughs> literally and uh, creatively, <laughs> you know, just people's stories come and go. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe my story's about to, I don't know what's going to happen to her people. I don't know. But um, 
Well, when you so when no, you, I I feel I feel like every time I get to work, it's it's just like thank you, I get to work again, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, when when you think back on like first creating the character, what was your take on her, and do you have the same take now? As I think it's fair to say, her behavior has become increasingly questionable, Bonnie. Yes, I st- yes yes I my take on her was you know not had an easy ride. It's been rough, and it's caused her to do some really stupid and destructive things and she keeps digging the hole deeper um yeah i i i love gladys i stand by her she is not evil i understand mara Mara, i've talked to you about this before people i think it's a lovely shorthand way to describe her evil bitch or even mean or all these things and no 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 from my point of view yes she screws up yes she's done a lot of damage and, and the road to hell is paved with Gladys's good intention. <laughs> well, early in 2020, the show brought on Gladys's son, Brando, played by Johnny Wachter, and her family further expanded when he married Sasha, played by Sophia Matson. So Brando, as we know, was sadly felled by the hook last year, but Sasha is still a very key player in Gladys's storyline. So tell us about working with Sophia. Uh, it's dreamy. It's dreamy. She's... Um... She's so good. And I, I I marvel at what she's able to do because they, as the fans know, ooh, they have put her through the ringer and she just keeps bringing it. Um, and she does it in a very, uh, just, she's kind of a, she's a quiet, lovely person. She's not, you know, taking up a lot of oxygen in the room. She's just showing up and doing her work. Um, and, and, and also a really sweet and kind person. Um, and also like a person with a, not just a two-year-old, but like a super brand new baby. So I don't, I actually don't see how she's doing it, but she's, she's doing it. And it's it, working with somebody who's doing such high quality work is just a gift to the partner that they're working with. So I feel lucky and grateful to get to work with her. Yeah. yeah if only she was good looking, one could say she was a total package. But God, it's, <laughs> it's like, yeah, what in the world? Yeah, off the charts. I decided I have to stop. Like I, I used to say, oh, you look lovely, whether whether she's showing up on stage in her track suit for, you know, morning blocking or, you know, out of hair and makeup and in wardrobe. I just decided I'm going to stop saying it because she must just hear it, you know, all day, every day. And I thought maybe she doesn't need to hear that all the damn time. (laughs) Maybe she does. I don't know. But I basically don't say it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But But you think it every time. Oh, my gosh. How can you not? Right, um, exactly. Well, Gladys also linked up with the rest of the Deception crew, which put you in the orbits of Lynn Herring and Amanda Sutton and Kirsten Storms, who play Lucy in Brooklyn and Maxie, respectively. So what stands out to you about getting to work opposite those women? Oh, so lucky. Um, gosh, they are all so distinctive as as characters and people. Um, and again, this very warm and welcoming, uh, and they're all, yeah, they're all veterans. Um, I mean, it's, I might be the oldest, like, you know, calendar age among them or, or right up there, but, but in terms of being a veteran on, in, in the world of soaps, I still kind of feel like a baby, um, which might sound silly, but, um, yeah, so it's just, it's cool to work with, you know, these, they're kind of, they're icons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Kirsten and I talk about, Fiber Arts because she's a crazy knitting crocheting woman, super talented, and I'm I kind of dabble, so we 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 do that. And Lynn is uh, just got a big giant heart. She met my youngest daughter recently at a fan event, and and showed a lot of interest in my daughter. You know, just genuine interest, and that touched me deeply. And Amanda, another one, uh, just stunning to look at and also funny and and so kind just a warm she's a she's a mom she's like a nice jewish mom of three kids and that's how she treats everybody like she just wants to take care of you so in recent months gladys became sasha's guardian bilked her for money and got into a big gambling debt with selena Wu. so tell us about working with lydia look who plays selena hysterical i mean she's uh first of all yeah they they found the person for that part uh and i love how i i feel like it's it's been a fun evolution to watch her you know um i'm i'm happy for that 
she just, you know, the, her presence as this cold mobster lady is, it is real. Um, gosh, and it's so funny. I'm not a fashion maven. I'm like the opposite of a fashion person. I'm remedial with fashions, but it keeps, it's like a recurring theme of our conversation. I just love how she rocks the, what the clothes that they put her in her, her whole look. She's just got the whole package. You know, she, she and I are developing a sweet little friendship. We're going to go do some fan stuff um, back East in, at the end of October. So we're having fun doing some promotional things and hanging out with each other. And she's, she's a goofball. She doesn't look like a goofball as Selena Wu, but she is a goofball, which in my book is high praise and delightful totally. to be around. Yeah. But we've also seen Gladys take quite the massive dislike to the character of Cody Bell, played by Josh Kelly. So what is your dynamic with Josh like? Mm -hmm. uh, well, we we have fun. We have a lot of fun together. It's it's almost like the, the, the animosity that the characters have for each other is in a direct uh, oppositional ratio to how much we enjoy seeing each other and working together. I, I, that didn't, that, I did not use the words I was looking for there, but I think, I, I think you get what I'm saying. As oh, much as the characters hate each other, that's how much Josh and I enjoy working together. And, you know, you have to be careful clowning around on the set because there's not time, but um, it's very tempting to clown around on the set with someone like Josh, because, you know, he's very, he's a very fun guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, Gladys's abrasive personality, shall we say, has rubbed Kelly Monaco Sam the wrong way, given the things that have come out of Gladys's mouth, especially in front of Scout, which I find yeah. delightful. Um, do you ever have a hard time spouting out some of the things she says, or is it just sheer fun to play a character who is so uncensored? Sheer fun. Sheer fun. Period. <laughs> do you have a favorite awful thing Gladys has ever said? There have been a lot of them. <laughs> um, I mean, the you know, the recent stuff with Scout that you're referencing, Stephanie, all so much fun. I mean, I guess the most recent, the dressing room stuff where I'm like, it's couture kid, don't touch my coat. That was fun. <laughs> but also, um, it must be hard having your daddy in the slammer. Yeah. <laughs> and I love how Gladys uses this old timey language like slammer, you know, I mean. <laughs> That's old timey stuff. And I love that. I just love it. No, that stuff is not hard for me at all. I could do that all day, every day. Other things are more challenging, but we can save that for another time. So, you know, you obviously understand that Gladys's function on the show is to be someone that fans don't root for, uh, yes. right? Designed more in the love to hate vein. Uh, yep. But what is, what is your take on where Gladys finds herself now, which is that in order to maintain her access to Sasha's bank account, the poor woman has wound up drugged and institutionalized after stabbing Cody. You know, do you, how do you, like, do you, do you think she has a genuinely guilty conscience? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, because I think, you know, it was always, it was always meant to be temporary. It was always meant to be something she would get herself out of. I'm interested to, to see if, cause I would imagine the story has to circle back. I feel like they only touched on this in one episode where we see Selena, Mrs. Wu discussing with Cody, you know, his job in the poker game is to make sure that Ms. Wu doesn't lose as the, as the house. So, I, I mean, we're going to have to get back to that at some point. I think that, you know, Cody was, and I'm not even sure Gladys doesn't know she hates Cody, but I don't think she realizes that Cody was uh, partly responsible for her being such a loser at poker. I think that's going to have to come back up at some point. So what I you're saying know. is he deserved to be stabbed. Um, <laughs> obviously, I should have done it myself. <laughs> 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 um, now you touched on this a little, but you know, does it ever worry you? Like, can Gladys come back from this? Do we need her to come back from this? You know, um, I, I hope she can. I, I need her too. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, Maurice, both Kirsten and Maurice have said, cause I've said again, like a, like a kind of a rookie, if, if that's not too awkward to characterize myself that way. I mean, maybe it's been too long now to characterize myself as a rookie, but 
you know, because I've expressed uh, a little anxiety with with Mo and Kirsten about, oh, my God, my character, she gets so much hate online. And, you know, they're like, ah. And Maurice said, well, I've killed people. I slept with a 16-year-old. And Kirsten also, like, drugged somebody and slept. I mean, so to be told slash reminded of the awful things that people do on soaps, just by definition, is very um, reassuring to me. Mm -hmm. I could come back. That's right. But it is, it's a privilege to play such a, a wrecking ball. It's a privilege. It's lucky. You know, I realize how lucky I am. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are so many people who would love to play Gladys for that reason, because they don't get to do the things that you get to do. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Uh, You also said to me recently, Bonnie, that when you were growing up, like you never got in trouble. And that maybe that's why you so enjoy playing someone who gets in trouble for a living, (laughs) which is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that is a reason it's so fun for me. I was pathologically well-behaved. It's fun here, you know, when you have adult kids and they can start telling you what they were doing that you didn't realize they were doing. And at this point, it's funny because now everybody's all the way through school. They both have jobs. Everybody's doing fine, you know, knock on wood. Thank you. Um, But yeah, so they were up to some, you know, sneaky, dumb kid stuff that I was unaware of. And and now I just think it's funny. I I think that's healthy. I I was not doing that. I mean, I was getting in trouble when I was a bartender in New York a little bit, but I was already an adult, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. But as Um, a kid, no. Now, July marked the fourth anniversary of your first GH appearance. So what does it mean to you that this has become such a steady gig? Uh, professionally, it means everything. It means everything. Um, yeah, it's it just I, it's it's a gift. I just still pinch myself. Um, and I all you know, I realize it could always be over. It could be over for a, temporarily for a long time. It could be over permanently, regardless of what happens. I will always cherish the experience it um to to be able to be around long enough to feel like you're really part of the company it is is uh it's just special it's very different from all, all that work that i did before um guesting on you know some big tv shows and small parts and movies i enjoyed that but i always felt i mean you're not there long enough to to get close to anybody so it's a little it's a little chilly and this is the opposite of that i get to know the crew i you know get to know the actors and and the makeup people and the the security guards. And it's just, I just, uh, I'm extremely mindful of how lucky I am. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, and which we're only going to do with great reluctance, um, what would you like to say directly to the General Hospital fans who are listening and getting to know you better? Oh, gosh. Well, thank you. Mostly, I bet this is what everybody says. So not original. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, 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 um, I mean, obviously without fans, there is no general hospital. So, uh, that means so much, I'm sure to all of us and particularly regarding Gladys, (laughs) I'm sure that many of them listening do hate Gladys. You know, that's fair. Um, I hope they love to hate her. Uh, and, um, I hope it was fun listening to us chat. It was fun for me. Us too. Okay. Thank you. And we thank you so much for everything today. Um, Bonnie, it was great getting to know you and hope we get to do this again. So thank you so much. Have a great day, Bonnie. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it. It was a blast. Y'all have a great day too. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Bonnie Burrows for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.